0: Uh, This morning, like I said, we are in 2 Peter chapter 1. You guys are, I think, far familiar with this passage now. We've been studying it for week after week. This is week 4 or 5, I can't remember. Uh, But we have been working through this passage for the purpose of this. This is kind of maybe a catchphrase or a a summary sentence of our passage. Uh, And it says this, A godly life arises from godly character, which grows from godly effort. By God's power and grace. So what we're really trying to do while we dig into Second Peter is how do we as Christ followers, how do we as the redeemed, how do we as the blood-bought children of God, how do we become godly? What are the things we should do, can do, will do so that we look more and more like Jesus? So that's why we're taking a pause in this chapter and just teasing it out and digging all the truth we can because the answers are in here. And so that's what we're going to be looking at. Specifically, we're going to be looking at knowledge today. Uh, and How knowledge helps us become godly. Uh, so that's going to be the focus. So let me pray for our text. Pray that God goes before us. That God's uh, Holy Spirit enlightens us and helps us obey it. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. And thank you that we're able to come here together and freely worship Yeshua. Lord, thank you, Jesus, that you are the coming promised Messiah, that you've not only uh, obeyed the Old Testament commandments, Lord, and God's law, but you fulfilled them. And so, Lord, we sit here as children of you, covered by your blood. And so, Lord, we are so thankful and glad that we can come here and worship you and praise you and know you. And so, Lord, we sit here now wanting to two understand you more. and So speak to us this morning through the Holy Spirit. Open our eyes to the truths that we need to know. Open our eyes and hearts to how we need to change to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. So we ask these things in your name. Amen. Uh, there is a big difference between knowing about someone and actually having a relationship or a friendship with someone, right? You guys know a thing or two about me. But that does not mean that we're friends yet. It doesn't mean that we're close. We're not BFFs yet. We're not like we don't have a relationship. But there's there's a big difference, and, and and that difference matters. It matters how we talk to each other. It matters how we interact with one another. Um, I don't know if you guys have been watching lately, but there's a lot of good Star Wars content coming out. I don't know if you have any Star Wars fans, right? But I've grown up loving Star Wars. I grew up in Munster, and so I were all you know, Episode one, two, and three when they came out. I was at Showplace 16 with the lightsaber, midnight showing. Like, I love Star Wars. And so one mission trip, 2011, I was in Chicago, and I was with my students. We're at Michigan Avenue. I see George Lucas. Super excited about George Lucas, right? I know a lot about George Lucas. I love all of his movies. Indiana Jones is really cool, too. But Star Wars, mainly why I like him. And I thought because I knew enough about Star Wars that I could approach him. He'd be fine with it. He'd be thrilled to meet Andrew Moffat, like stoked to meet me. And so uh, I tell my students, I think that's George Lucas, and I told them who he is because they didn't know. And, uh, and I give my camera because there, it wasn't on my phone then. And I walk up to him, and I foolishly said, you look a lot like George Lucas. Because I wasn't sure. You see the celebrity in, in person, it's a little bit, they're shorter, they're taller, they just look a little bit different. I don't know what it was, but you look a lot like George Lucas. And he just stares at me. I mean, he doesn't give me anything. I'm like, Are you George Lucas? Stares at me, doesn't do a thing, which means I'm like, You're George Lucas. Like, you, you hate me right now. I get it. But I got a picture. So here's the picture of me and George, right? <laughs> There's my student Aaron and Kyle in the back. Um, uh, me, super excited. I know a little bit, right? I'm excited to meet one of my heroes, George doesn't know me, and he looks like he wants to punch me in the face. Like, he was not thrilled to meet me. There was no relationship. There was really no connection. I was one of one million people have approached him, all giddy and geeking out about him. But there was no friendship. There was no relate. We didn't talk at all. He didn't speak at all, right? You can put that picture down. It's embarrassing. But I do have hair. I did have hair. You guys notice that? My kids think that's so strange. Um, relationship matters, right? And when it comes to our faith when it comes to God. There's a lot of people who know a lot of things about God, but how many of them have a relationship with God? That relationship is pivotal. That relationship is everything. That's what hinges on our whole existence and our eternity is, do we have a relationship with God? I want us to read our passage this morning, And I want us to see and look for the word of knowledge, because that knowledge has two different meanings to it, two different applications of it, but hugely important for us, the church, to understand what they are, what they mean, and what do we do with this knowledge. So that's what we're going to do, and hopefully by the end of this morning, we're going to see that the answer is that we are called as Christians, as adopted children of God, that we are called to, have, to, to gain in relational knowledge. I wanted to clarify, relational knowledge of God so that we can honor Him in what we do and so that we can enjoy Him, All right? So I want us to know God relationally as adopted into His family so that we can honor Him with what we do, and so that we can enjoy our relationship with Him. So that's our goal this morning. So uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. I just want to read it in context, um, because there's knowledge is all throughout here, and it's kind of important. So here's what God's Word says. Simon Peter, a servant of the Apostle Jesus Christ, to so those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Verse 3 says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them we may become partakers of divine of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. Verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. Uh, do I have verse 8 up there? Nope, we're done. Sweet. <laughs> Stopped at 7. Perfect. So we see Peter's letter starts off like most epistles do, right? Glad you're here. God bless you. Let's go. He dives into it. And verse 2 is where we start getting introduced to this topic of knowledge of God. He wants, he's asking on behalf of the church, he's asking for the readers of his letter, he's asking for the future churches, us, that as we read that our grace... That we can get and the peace that we have is increasing, is growing within us. It's multiplying within us. He's asking God that He increases or multiplies uh, the grace of our understanding. Now, we need to understand that, that God doesn't lack or God isn't withholding anything from us, right? God's not like divvying out grace in like portion sizes for us. We have full access to the grace of God. So what he's wanting us to really do is he's asking that he wants our grace, he wants our peace, our security maybe, to be growing because we know him more. Because over time, over years, as we grow in our faith, we know scriptures more, we know his promises more, therefore the more we know, the better we can apply it and have rest and have peace and know how much grace is given. He's really wanting and asking the church from the very beginning to know that we are secure in Christ. He's talking about our justification. Verse 2 is like, church, I want the church to know that you're good. That grace has been given above and beyond. That you are secure and safe forever and ever. Rest in that. The more you know God, the more you can enjoy God. That's what verse 2 is. Then verse 3 says this. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him. So the text indicates that the knowledge of God can give us a more clear understanding of the grace that's given, which gives us peace. And the verse 2 says this, that the church is, uh, it's talking about how the church is more, uh, more the church knows and why we are justified. The more we know that we are saved, the more we know that we are secure, that we are going to now be free to pursue Him more. That we are now, able to. If you don't have the Christ, if you don't have salvation, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you can't truly know your Savior. You are still cut off. You are still in sin. But post justification, the race is off. Now we can really understand who God is. Our faith is more than just knowledge. It's doing something with knowledge. What we're going to discover as we dig into more chapter or verse 5 is that we're, we're called to know things. We're called to understand things. But not just for knowledge' sake, we're called to do something with that knowledge. It's not just gaining details and facts, it's really taking that knowledge and putting it to purpose, taking that knowledge and doing something with it. So for uh, the, the stereotypical Christian pastor illustration, if we look at marriage, right, every sermon has a marriage thing in there, uh, marriage in many ways is like your wedding day is like the starting line to really being able to pursue your spouse. So if you're wanting to get married, think you might get married someday, are married, wedding day is kind of a, the very, very beginning where you can completely pursue your spouse and know them better for the rest of your life. It's not like when I got married, it was like 14 years ago in the day, um, that I got married, and I was like, oof, all right, done, complete, check that off, right? Like, I know everything about you, I'm good in love, now I'm good, like, I'm gonna go play Xbox. Like, that's not how it worked. Like, From that wedding day, now I can completely and fully pursue Amanda and know her and know what she wants. And we can worship together. We're around each other 24-7. That's a shocker. That's a new change. But it was great. Right? Like, now we're free to know. We're free to understand. We're free to to pursue knowing. That's what salvation is. That's that transition from verse 2 to 3 is, hey, you're justified. You're good. You're secure. Now enjoy and learn and know and grow in godliness. That's what verses two and three really transition us to. If we jump to verse five, look in your Bibles. For this very reason, make every effort, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge. So, what kind of knowledge are we looking at? What kind of knowledge is Peter asking us to pursue? Uh, Are we. are we supposed to as the church are we supposed to learn all about the ancient things first century and second century are we supposed to learn Greek and Hebrew are we supposed to learn about the first century church and their customs are we supposed to learn about Jewish history and the Jewish people like what what kind of knowledge should we be pursuing every single day what kind of information do we all need to like start taking Hebrew and Greek classes like is that the thing that the church really needs to pursue is that the knowledge Uh, I've struggled in school kind of like my whole life. So like studying and knowledge, not my strong suit growing up. With an early diagnosis with a learning disability and ADD, me and learning, not my favorite thing, right? And so growing up, struggling in school and, and thinking negative thoughts about myself, one of my prayers from middle school until late was that I was smart. Anyone wish they were smarter? Like you wish you were more clever, you wish you could retain, I'm the only hand, all right. Smart church, Ben. You, you move quick. They're confident, right? I've wanted to be smarter my whole life. Like you know, you you do those wishes, like with my kids. All right, you have three wishes, Zeke. What do you want to do? What would you, what would you wish for, right? Uh, My two of mine have changed over the years. Uh, Now that I'm older, I wish my back didn't hurt. I wish I had hair, right? Those two, that's progressed with age. I get that, but my my third wish has always been: I wish I was smarter. Uh, There's a movie called Limitless. I I can't pastorally recommend it. Um, Maybe an edited YouTube clip or two might suffice. But the premise is, like, it's just like, I wanted to be in this movie. I wanted this to be true almost more than a Jedi. Like, I wanted to be this. So this guy, his friend gives him this pill, this drug, this new drug. And what it does is it unleashes the full capacity of his brain. And so within, within a moment of taking this pill, he can recall things he, he had listened to when he was a kid. He can re- remember books and lectures that he listened to. He could read a book within a few minutes and be an expert in that topic. He could listen to languages and become fluent in a day. He was a genius by taking a pill. Like, I kind of want that pill. <laughs> like, I'd be tempted to take that pill, and I would use it for Jesus. I really would use it for Jesus. But think about it. If you could take a pill... And if you've read the Bible from front to back at all in your lifetime, you would have it memorized. That's a pretty cool thought, right? Every sermon you've ever listened to, you would recall. Every commentary, every illustration, every blog post that we've read in the last, especially two years since COVID, a lot of blogs, we would would know them, and we could apply them, and we can use them, and we can quote them, right? We could all take Greek and Hebrew and learn it in two days, That would help my godliness, I think. Being able to know God's word that well would be amazing. It would help. But I'm pretty sure I would fall into the category of becoming prideful. Because a lot of my motivation for wishing I could take that magic pill is just so that I could be smarter. And so what I have become and what I've kind of transformed knowledge into is that I've become a Pharisee. If you think of Jesus' confrontations with the Pharisees, they were experts in the law. They knew everything inside and out. They memorized most of it by the time they were teenagers. They knew the Tanakh. They knew the Old Testament. They knew it so well. And Jesus fought with them often, but he never rebuked their knowledge. He loved that they loved the Torah. He loved it. It was never like, hey, you know too much. You study too much. It was never that. His only complaint... Well, his complaints, he had a few of them. His complaints with them is that with all their knowledge, with all their understanding, with all their memorizing, it never pushed them closer to God. They would misuse it. They would misquote it. They misapplied it. They added to it, which is the big one. The smartest people of their time who knew God's word was far from him. They were puffed up in knowledge. And Peter, the author of our book, he was there for a lot of these discussions. Peter's listening and watching Jesus talk and rebuke. Like, you know these things, but you don't understand them. You're smart, but you're not. You get it? There's a a separation. Paul even warns the Corinthian churches that knowledge in and of itself will puff you up. 1 Corinthians 8 talks about that. It only puffs us up. So the Pharisees knew things in and out. They were geniuses, but it never pushed them towards knowing or loving Yahweh more. It never did. There's a book by J.I. Packer called Knowing God. It's kind of the classic knowledge Jesus book. It's a bestseller of some sort, I'm sure. Um, but he has a really good uh, quote about what happens if we, the church, forget who we're loving and just focus on knowledge, information, facts, details, good tweetable comments. He says this, to be preoccupied with getting theologic, theological knowledge as an end to itself, to approach the Bible study with no higher a motive than the desire to know all the answers is the direct route to a state of self-satisfaction and self-deception, right? And that's the, that's the pitfall of some of us. That's one of the biggest pitfalls that we've seen, I've seen in and uh, like Bible college, they would warn us all the time not to make this a textbook. Like we would spend hours and hours, days and days just studying and dissecting and connecting. And and they said, Don't make this a textbook. Know the word to know Jesus, right? The the Jewish one of the things I learned this week is the Jewish men, if they're not going into the career, you can either choose to, to work and make money and provide for the community, not just for them, but your community, or you can spend your life pursuing knowledge. And until they die, from about 12, 12, 13, whenever the bat mitzvahs are, uh, on until death, they spend eight to nine hours a day reading, gaining knowledge, gaining knowledge, gaining knowledge, gaining knowledge. For what end? For what end? They're making the Bible a textbook. And so then we come to this healthy dilemma why are we even pursuing knowledge? What, why do we strive to understand God's attributes? Why do we need to understand the details of grace and mercy and justification? Why do we need to do these things? Why do we strive for knowledge? And the text, it informs us, verses one and three, that we are uh, to, that uh, he has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him. And so that life there in verse 3, I think it is, that word life is eternal life. So if you want to know salvation, if you want to know how to know Jesus, you need to understand, you need to know things in Scripture. You need to know that salvation is found in this book. Salvation is in the book. So all things, again, he's not withholding, he's not divvying out wisdom or little snippets or little secrets. It's all knowable to us. For all things for salvation, but also godliness. That knowledge is supposed to produce, the more we know, is supposed to produce um, knowledge through, sorry, godliness through knowledge applied. So, all this information, we're supposed to do something. We're not supposed to get a big head. We're not supposed to just be able to quote things. We're not supposed to be really cool and smart. We're supposed to do something. And Psalm 119 actually connects this in like almost every verse. So I want to maybe show you uh, what do we need to actually know to produce godliness, to actually ha- act on it. In uh, Psalm 119.1, it talks about how we need to walk in the law. Walk in the law, right? And then verse 2, we need to keep his testimonies, is the key word there. Verse uh, three, we need to walk in His ways. The ways is the important thing there. We see there. Verse five or uh, four, we need to. uh, You have He has precepts. We need to keep them. Verse five, we need to keep His statutes. Verse six, He has commandments. Verse seven, His righteous rules. And then verse eight talks about I will keep your statutes, right? We need to keep his statutes. In those eight verses we see in Psalm 119, there's a pair. We need to know that we need to be pursuing and we need to know specifically, not Christian self-help books, not good tweets, not good articles, not sermons. We need to specifically know, gain knowledge from the Bible. This isn't just a little thing that we bring into church and we sit in our seat and we bring it home and leave it in our car. Like this is our tool. This is our weapon. This is how we know salvation. This is how we know what godliness even looks like. And if you looked at Psalm one nineteen, knowledge was always paired with an action. We can walk because we know. We can do because we understand. We can obey because we've been taught. Like there's always a connection between knowledge and action. We know him better. So that we can obey him better. I don't know if you've ever walked someone who's brand new to Christianity or to the faith. It's it's always amazing to walk through whether it's a gospel or it's an epistle or it's the Old Testament how how they don't they don't know much yet, and so they're 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 learning things all the time that affects their life. They're learning what's a sin. They're learning what's good. They're learning what's holy. They're learning what's righteous. I, I used to play a game uh, in youth group where I would take pieces of paper. I'd do rows and columns. And I would have a little cheat sheet. And I would say, this is a safe space. This is a safe space. I'd make a little path. And the kids didn't know. And so they'd have to lead. They'd have to take a step. And up, oh, that's a bomb. They'd have to go over. They'd step. That's safe. That's safe. And they had to weave their way through. And they were all helping each other and telling each other where to go. It's not safe. Don't go there. Go back. That, In a way, and I, and I had the cheat sheet. I knew where to go. And that's what the scripture is. If you want to be godly, if you want to be like Christ, if you want to live a life that's honoring to God and glorifying God and points to God, you need to know how to do it, and that's what this is. The Bible's like that cheat sheet. We can know God by knowing His Word, by reading His Word, and by loving His Word, right? Uh, there's a side note. There, there isn't a direct connection. There's some, but there's not a direct connection between more knowledge you have, the less you'll sin, I don't think there's a direct connection. The more I know guarantees less sin. Not necessarily. You look at the Pharisees, a lot of knowledge, a lot of sin. You look at at Solomon, you look at King David, man after God's own heart, a lot of knowledge, a lot of sin too. I do think there's a better connection between the less you know of God, the least amount of knowledge does lead to more sin because you just don't know. I was uh, doing an interview for a, for a wedding. They wanted me to do their wedding. So I'm asking questions. And I'm getting to know them, find out they're, they're living together. She's a believer. He's not. And so, of course, I asked, like, well, how, how, do you, how do you justify, how do you rationalize going against God's word when you want me to do a Christian wedding? Like, how, how do you explain that to your friends and your family? i like, well, what do you mean? It's like, well, Stuff before marriage is not good, right? I'm being cautious with kids. But we're right? like, that that's a sin. God's great. So I walked them through, and like, I, I, I never knew. No one had told them that, that what they were doing was wrong. It was dishonoring to God and dishonoring to each other and a bad witness. Like, they just didn't know. They didn't know the word. Therefore, they had great sin in their life. Do you see the connection? So how do we pursue knowledge so that we can pursue Christ, Sadly, there is no magical pill. I've Googled it. There's no magical pill. There's no, nothing we can do that would speed the process up. But we need to know that there is, a, there is something. Scripture and Peter tells us what we can do. We need to know that effort effort is going to need to be applied if we're going to grow, if we're going to be godly, if we're going to pursue him. So in verse 5, if you look there again in your Bibles, it says this again. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge. So make every effort church, Christians, believers, we need to make every opportunity we can, every effort we can, everything we can do to pursue godliness, we need to be doing it and uh, the word supplement has a unique definition or emphasis. Uh, the, the word supplement there is, can be defined as providing at one own's expense. So Peter is saying it's, it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you some time. It's probably going to cost you some energy. It might cost you some resources. But if you want to pursue godliness, it's going to cost you something. Uh, if you know me at all, you know that I hate working out. It's the worst thing in the world the most. Uh, I just, I loathe it. Now, before I get speeches, I know the benefits. I know it's good for me. It'd help my back. It'd help my bad leg. I could probably lose some weight. It'd maybe lower my cholesterol. I'll be a little bit stronger. I'll be, maybe live longer. I know all the benefits. Benefit, I know what it's going to do, but I also know the effort it's going to take, right? I, I don't like getting up early. I don't want to sacrifice more family time. Uh, I'm lazy. Uh, <laughs> I got reasons, right? And I choose to not work out. It's not worth it to me. I'm good enough, is what I tell my wife. Um, I, I know the consequence, and I make a conscious choice. No, not going to do it. But with our faith, Peter is laying it out for the, new, for the first century church and for us. He's saying, if you want to pursue godliness, effort's going to be needed. It's going to be hard, and it's going to be a lifelong journey. From salvation until death, effort is going to be required daily. And I know a lot of young adults, because that's my world, uh, you know, 12 years old to 30, it's a big gap. Uh, a lot of them, regardless of group, struggle with this. They're saved at 13, they're saved at 15, they're saved at 20. and They're like, man, I got like 70 years of effort. Is Jesus worth it? That's the question, that's the question that they all wrestle with. Is the effort Worth it. For your spiritual health and for your spiritual growth and for your spiritual enjoyment uh, of Jesus, Paul wants us to know what we're getting into. He wants us to know that there's no pills, there's no magic devotional, there's no cliff notes to godliness this isn't the matrix where you can just download, like plug it into the back of your head, you download godliness and we're good to go. Like that, That's not what it is. What it's going to take is what is listed in the following verses of doing. And knowledge is a huge part of it. In order to know God, grow in knowledge, we have to know His Word. This gives us the ability to actually know the creator of the world. This gives us the opportunity to know what salvation really is. This gives us the opportunity to know what our purpose and mission is in life. It gives us how we interact with the one It gives us everything. And yet, I find the younger generation don't know these things because they're not in this. And so I want to I give three short points uh, now, if you're a new believer, maybe this is brand new to you. If you're like kind of new to the faith and you're new to this Christian thing, you're, you're checking out Jesus, you're in, you've been invited here this morning, this might be really new, and so this is going to be really helpful for you. This is a great basic for you. If, uh, if you've been a believer for a long time, uh, this should be an encouragement to you. This could be maybe a, a reminder to you or an encouragement to get back into it. I don't know where the Holy Spirit's going to press upon you this morning, but these are super easy to know, uh, and you might even eternally roll your eyes. But I promise, there's God's going to do something, right? So that we need to do three things with this, to grow in godliness, to be like Jesus, to love Jesus and honor him. We need to read it, study it, and talk about it, all right? Simple things, I told you, right? Earlier this year, we did a series called Back to the Basics, I think it was. And and the purpose was, is right after COVID, we really wanted to encourage the church to go back to the simple things of our faith, so that we can keep the main thing the main thing. We wanted you to be in uh, Bible study. We wanted you to be praying. We wanted you to be work. We wanted you to get back to the basic things because we were getting a little bit distracted. And so we encourage you dig into the Word and the Word alone. Just just read it and see what God does. Whether you read it daily, whether you read it hourly, whether you read it weekly, where Start reading it. Just start getting into the Word. John's, John 8 says, you will know the truth and truth will set you free. What we're wanting you to do is to be set free to explore who God is and to know what His Word says, right? The more we know, the more we know where we need to make a correction. One of Peter's big concerns of why he's encouraging us to study the Word and dig into the Word isn't just for, um, for growing Knowing the details, but it's also for protection. If you just look over at chapter 2, your, your subtitle says something along the lines of false prophets and teachers. Peter's saying, church, read the word as much as you can because there's people who are lying about it, right? His big concern was false teachers, um, Peter if you remember the kind of, he's about to die whether he knows or not we're not sure but he's about to die and so he wants to give them some big tips and one of those is know the words so that you know when you're being lied to that you know when someone is polluting the gospel adding to the gospel removing from the gospel you have to know the truth in order to hear the lies he warns the church that uh, those that have forsaken the right way they have gone astray I had a professor at Purdue Northwest or yeah, Purdue Northwest, what you guys call it now. I've been gone. Uh, Purdue Cal. I had a professor, philosophy guy, and he would teach philosophy stuff. I guess he wasn't the greatest teacher. He was fired that year, and uh, which is another story, good story. Um, but he would quote the Bible or reference the Bible all the time. And and me not loving education all the time. Uh, I'm a back row student where I belong. And but he keeps misrepresenting the Bible every single class and no one's saying anything. He's like, oh, this, the Bible teaches this, and Christians believe this, and it wasn't really positive. And I'm sitting like, someone needs to say something. And so finally, because I don't normally talk, I raise my hand. I, well, that's actually not true. And as I'm talking to him, I'm, I'm going in my backpack, and I'm pulling this out. He's like, oh, this guy's legit. Like, I am legit, right? <laughs> Uh, and so I correct him. He's like, oh, "All right, all right, my bad my. And He talked again, he's talking again. I'm like, uh, I've already started. Now that, that's not what we believe. That's not true." And I flipped to the passage, he's like, "Man." And so we got in this rhythm of whenever he talked about Christianity, he'd be talking another Christian. Moffat, that good? Close enough, yeah, close enough, yeah. Like, so we would, he, I, he, I would keep him in check, and he asked if he was right. But if I didn't say anything, everyone would have been taught lies. They all would have had false ideas of who God really is because they didn't know the truth. No one else in there knew the truth. And that's one of the main reasons that Peter really wants us to know is, yes, we we know God's character, we know his attributes, we see his love, we see his glory, we see his grace, we see all these amazing things, but it also protects us from being lied to. It keeps us pursuing the true God of the Bible. The second thing we need to do is we need to actually study it, not just read it, not just go through a Bible plan, which are good and great, we need to be doing these things, but we need to pause every now and then and dig into what the truth really is from God. Romans 11 talks about how he says this, Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. We will not even understand the depths of how rich the Scripture is until heaven. We should never be tired of God's Word. We can study the same passage relentlessly for a lifetime, and God is always turning that, that, that like the diamond. We're seeing a new facet, a new shine, a new glean of God in this passage. But we need to take moments and pause and dig in and understand and ask God specifically, God, what is the truth within here? And we need to pull it out. God, this is what you're saying, this is what your truth is, and we pull it out and then we apply it to ourselves. And so for the church, we need to be continually in the Word, reading it and digging into it. And commentaries are great, blogs are a great resource, but, but I, I encourage you and I encourage, this is what our, our Verge team is really doing, we're really trying to not go outside of Scripture and we're really trying just to stick with this. Like in rooted small groups, I encourage my rooted small groups as well, don't do a book study all the time, don't do this, just open this. That's all you really need, right? Dig into the truth and don't get distracted with other things. Which leads me to my third thing is we need to talk about God's Word. We need to actually be studying it, reading it, and then talking about what God is teaching and leading us. (laughs) Um, If we study God's Word in isolation... It's possible that we come up to wrong conclusions. We misunderstand things. I was a youth leader in Chicago before uh, full-time ministry, and one of our students was walking to youth group. He got mugged at gunpoint, and so I I took him home, and I was talking with him, and we were praying, and we were crying, and I was reading scripture, and I was teaching him, and just kind of encouraging him. And I come back to my youth pastor at the time. I'm like, oh, no, he's okay. He's fine. I I shared this. I read this. I told him this. He's like, whoa, 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 what did you say? Like, well, I, I read... This and I was talking about how God does this. He's like, that's, that's no, <laughs> that's not what that scripture is saying, Andrew. Oh, well, what is it saying? I, I was completely wrong. Not heretical, just wrong, right? I didn't know. And if I hadn't shared, if we don't talk about things, it could happen to any of us, all of us, that if we study in isolation, we might misunderstand who God is. And so that's why small groups and community groups and accountability, accountability groups isn't just confessing our mistakes and confessing our sins. Accountability is theological. We need to make sure we're on the same theological understanding of what Scripture is saying. Otherwise, we get some unique ideas, ones that aren't biblical, right? Ironing, sharpening, iron. So those are three quick things about God's Word. But here's what really wrecked me a few weeks ago when I was prepping this and studying this. Uh, in that book uh, from J.I. Packer, Knowing God, he had some applications of how godliness, if the church hunkers down and, and really pursues knowledge, pursue knowing God, and applies it correctly, how's it going to change you? How, how are we going to look? How are we going to be different if the church has this mission of knowing God so that we can know him better, we can honor him, and we can enjoy him? How will we change? And he had a big list. I, so I want to share two of his and then one that I've added that were just so good uh, that kind of uh, I had a good prayer-ish session, crying session on my couch. We'll just share that, right? Uh, this was what One of his points was this, that growing Christians will have great energy for God. Growing Christians, Christians who are receiving knowledge and applying it for godliness, their actions, their energies will be for God's work. The more we are drawn to Christ and transformed into his likeness, the more we will do for his glory. So I I think of uh, those people who always seem to be serving. I think serving is an easy way for us to look at someone's life and... It, if they had the right motives, we can say that, that's a godly response, that's a godly action, right? So they're serving a kids' ministry, and then they serve in this ministry, and they help with the food pantry. And last and they were helping someone, maybe Ben, move into his new home, right? Like, they're just always doing things, and it's exhausting hearing how much they serve. Like, it makes me tired to think how much they're just out doing, doing, doing. But that's kind of the lifestyle Jesus had, too, right? He was out on the boat having fun. He was traveling with his buddies. But then what was he doing a lot of the time? He was poured himself out. His energy, his time was used for others, was used for God's glory. And I think you, if we think of some of the godliest people we know, those who've been walking with Jesus and loving Jesus for 50, 60 years, their energy, their time is spent for the Lord. Serving here, doing here, studying here, praying there. Like it's just, that's what was amazing. So I sat on my couch and kind of did a self-assessment of my energy, my time. How is it being used? Like, am I really using all of my energy? Am I really truly being poured out for God? Or am I withholding some for myself? We're allowed rest. We're allowed Sabbaths for sure. But man, I fall asleep watching golf quite a bit. When I maybe could be using some of those times for something else. It was a good self-reflection a few weeks ago. Number two, growing Christians will have thoughts... That are on God and His kingdom. Growing Christians will have thoughts that are on God and of His kingdom. Come on. I'm gonna speed through this because I think I'm going a little bit long. I greatly apologize. But here's the thing: the Holy Spirit. Can renew our minds. The Holy Spirit can make our minds not think of the world, but immediately go to spiritual and eternal things. So I think of Joseph in Egypt when his brothers came and he's like showing them and tricking them and deceiving them and doing his test of whatever he's doing, right? He said this to his brothers. He said that God sent me before you to preserve life. And then he said, it's not you who sent me here, but it was God. No matter the ups and downs, brothers, this is all God's plan. And so I think, again, of, of godly people who, when I share sad news or when we're talking about things, oh, that's really bad, their first thought is, well, let's pray about that. Or you share, hey, this is going on. I don't know what to make of it. They say, well, I wonder what God is, like, they're for, what's God doing? I'm like, oh, yeah, God is a part of the equation, is he? Like, they draw my mind where it needs to go. They draw my mind to the spiritual. They draw my mind to the eternal. So the more we walk with God, the more we're growing in godliness, the more our mind should go to those things. What is God doing? How is God doing? How can I do this for God? How can I serve in this way? How can I be like Christ here? That's where my mind is kind of going. And lastly, growing Christians will find rest in Christ. This has been my most enjoyable discovery uh, probably the last two years. Uh, as my understanding of God has grown, right, as my knowledge of him has increased, my resting in my identity in him has increased. I'm not worried as much about my security. I'm not worried so much about is God going to give me mercy and grace today because I know his character, because I know him. And so when I mess up and I make mistakes, God is good, right? So I have a a last quote to close out here. Uh, It's by a guy named Milton Vincent. It says this, The gospel also reminds me that my righteous standing with God always holds firm regardless of my performance because my standing is solely is based solely on the work of Jesus, not mine. And on my worst day of sin and failure, the gospel encourages me with God's unrelenting grace towards me. And on my best day of victory and usefulness, the gospel keeps me relating to God solely on the basis of Jesus's righteousness and not mine. And so believers, as we pursue. The knowledge of God. I want us to be transformed by our actions. I want our minds to be renewed for sure, but I also want us to be uh, resting and enjoying the status that we have had. We are adopted children of God, secured with Him. And we cannot outsend His grace, and His grace will be continually given. His mercies are continually ours. And that for me has been a release, a relax. I love discovering who God is because it's always good for me. I've never discovered something about God that made me fearful or ashamed or embarrassed. Never. Because it's always coated with grace and mercy and love. So I want us to be a church that pursues knowledge, but knowledge that pushes us towards godliness and godliness that makes us honor him so that we can also enjoy God.